Welcome, everybody. This is, once again, the U.S. Great Sports Podcast. We are thrilled tonight. We've got Father Chad Ripperger back with us. We're happy that you're with us. And, of course, my good friend, Father Richard Heilman, is over there on the other side of the screen. So thanks for being with us and enjoy this podcast tonight. But, of course, everything has to begin with prayer. And, Father Heilman, we always defer to you. All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Father, for that. And as always, we want to thank everybody out there who supports the U.S. Grace Force podcast. We always want to start the podcast off with a big thank you. You are always in our prayers, all of you. We appreciate everything that you do, your comments, your encouragement, your financial support for the Patreon program. For those who'd like to help us with that financially, that is a very important piece. And you can click the link in the description below. That always helps us pay the bills, keep the lights on, and keep this machine functioning to get that message out to, again, as many lives as possible in the time that we have. And don't forget also to keep us in your rosaries, tuck us in your little prayer moments, especially when you're before the Blessed Sacrament. And then when you celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, when you go to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, that also is a powerful way to help us out. Uh, and like and share this and send this out to other people. Always spread the message. And you can't beat it when we have someone like Father Ripperger on, uh, fan favorite, and we love to have him with us. And tonight we're going to be talking about a very, very important topic, how Our Lady of Sorrows really works so well in our lives to deal with spiritual warfare and spiritual battle. So um, I'll say hello, Father Ripker. Great to have you. And uh, Father Heilman, I'll let you take it from here. Thank you. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have you on, Father. Yeah. Um, we've gotten to know each other over the years, and I think we've mm -hmm. become very good friends. Uh, and oh, yeah. it's, it, and, and I, I love our relationship, too. It's kind of like a playful spirit. but And, and that's a kind of how I feel when somebody has the Holy Spirit on them. You know, Jesus brought that child over him and said, well, you become like a child, you know. And so you, get, you got that playfulness. I was just at a conference this weekend, uh, the Flame of Love conference at uh, Our Lady of Champion. And oh, my goodness, it was the same kind of spirit there. But we always have fun when we're with you and very, very informed by you. Father, you have Our Lady of Sorrows ministry, and we have the Feast of um, Our Lady of Sorrows coming up. Uh, right. This will air on Wednesday. So on Friday uh, is is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And uh, it actually, the day before is the Triumph of the Cross. So I, I you know, the, the fact that those two are one after the other is is significant. And um, But Father, if you could help us to understand, first of all, you know, why Our Lady of Sorrows? Uh, there's devotions out there. And you've helped me to enter into more fully into this beautiful, beautiful devotion but the power of that and, and, you know, why you chose that for uh, your ministry, uh, our um, Sorrowful Mother Ministries, our Sorrowful Mother. But uh, if you could just kind of unpack that for us, you know, what is it about the devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows uh, it, that actually compelled you to um, name your ministry after this beautiful devotion? Uh, the first... Um... The first reason primarily that we did was uh, to name our society, the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother, was because of the fact that one of the promises of those who have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows is that she promises that she will protect the individual who has the devotion and their family from diabolic incursion. Why? And so I realized, well, that's what, that's what we're going to be dealing with yeah. a lot. And so it's important to actually have her... Um, you know, front and center in that battle, and also because of the fact that obviously um, there is no demon that doesn't have absolute fear of her, and so we figured if she, as long as she's on our side, we're good. The second part of it is something which I kind of only learned over the course of time, um, and then I'll mention kind of a third thing, but the, the, the second one was basically, some of people have probably heard me say this actually on some of my other podcasts, but basically it boils down to this. So when our Lord um, was taken to uh, St. Simeon with, uh, by Our Lady and St. Joseph, 
St. Simeon said to Our Lady, your soul should be pure so that the hearts of many will be laid bare. And so what that basically means, and this is something I've discovered over the course of time, uh, praying to her and asking her for uh, intercession, specifically in possession cases, but then later I extended it to quite a few other things, is, is that because Our Lady stood be uh, beneath the cross, so we're talking about it's right on the heels of the Feast of um, the Holy Cross, because she stood at the foot of the cross, she merited an intimacy with God that no one else has. Now, that means that she that God is very similar to the rest of us. In fact, I think he put that natural inclination in us to, re to reflect a little bit on, to reflect him, his that perfection, which is the more intimate or the closer you, we are to people, the more likely we are to say things to them about what our interior heart really reflects rather than, you know, people that we don't know very well, where it's not that we're necessarily standoffish or anything, we're just not going to talk to them about things that are more intimate in our own interior lives. And so basically, God reveals things to Our Lady, He does not reveal to other people. This is obvious, just in her apparitions, right? She starts revealing future events, which um, obviously God has communicated to her. And so she's revealing those things, He doesn't reveal them necessarily to anybody else. But He allowed her to reveal them to us, if we ask. And so that's to draw attention to her perfection as Our Lady of Sorrows and her her intimacy, that perfection of intimacy that he has with her. And so what we started to do, what I started doing initially was asking Our Lady of Sorrows to reveal to me when cases would grind out for a little while, they would kind of stall out just a little bit. And so then I would start asking Our Lady of Sorrows, please reveal to us what where we go from here. And then usually very quickly, all of a sudden something would be revealed or someone would receive a grace um, I would receive a grace to say, okay, this is where we need to go. And then the case would start progressing again. Um, and then over the course of time, I began to realize, well, then she also, because she knows our spiritual lives so well, because she's the matrix of all grace, it also means that she can reveal to us our own interior defects. Also, and, and so I'll ask her, you know, what's the defect your son wants me to work on, right? And she would, usually within a, within um, a couple of days, if I kept asking her, that she would reveal to me something about my spiritual life that I hadn't seen before. And this has helped to, um, you know, slowly eradicate things that were displeasing to God, were just completely unknown. And you can actually pray this for other people that they, that God reveals them. So parents can do it for their children or pastors can do it for their, uh, for specific um, uh, parishioners and things of this sort. Um, the other thing is, is that we also ask her to reveal to us, and obviously you're not asking her to us to reveal what the lotto numbers are that are going to be drawn tomorrow. You're asking her to reveal stuff that's important in your spiritual life. And as a result of that, she actually will reveal those things. And you'll the way you'll notice it is, because um, uh, one of my close friends who's also an exorcist said, hey, you know, in your book, you need to kind of explain what that means because people are going to expect some type of, you know, Ah, revelation. That's not how it happens. It comes in the norm of an ordinary grace where you get clarity about this is what the problem is. And so people can use it to ask her to reveal the generational spirit within their family, the families, or the things that are re afflicting their children. I tell parents, especially if you have teenagers, it's a good idea to ask our lady, reveal to me stuff I need to know about my kids if this is what's going, you know, if there's something going on that I need to go on. So that's the that's it, it, in that revelation that actually gives us that gives us the information we need to do to continue this uh, the progression in the spiritual life, but also to engage in the spiritual warfare well because spiritual warfare you've heard me say before precision is everything, and so she can give us precise knowledge about this is the nature of the guy that you're dealing with, and then you can hone in on him and it's much much more effective. The prayers become much more effective because they're much more specific. The last thing that I only kind of learned. Um, reading, um, I'm sure all of you know about Cardinal Mary Duvall, how he wrote the the Litany of Humility, and he was uh, that it, it's rumored that he actually wrote the document Pashendi. Um, but he was an extraordinary holy man. I've always had a devotion to him, and in one of his works, he actually says that even though the Immaculate Conception is the most foundational doctrine of Our Lady, the most glorious and the most magnificent and the most important doctrine is Our Lady of Sorrows. Because it's there where her merit uh, is perfected and it becomes um, the, the greatest. And I think you might have even heard me say in one of the, in one of my other um, conferences where um, one demon actually revealed to me that it, that the most glorious moment in all of history, other than the um, Christ's human nature dying upon the cross, was Our Lady standing at the bottom or at the foot of the cross in perfect virtue. 
So this gives us an indicator that it's the most glorious, in a certain sense, of her feasts. So that's another reason for my motivation. But the two principal reasons were to reveal, but then also because of the protection that she affords. Father, would you be able to break down for us like the, what are the actual um, pieces of this devotion? There are seven key sorrows that we focus on. Um, for some right. people, this is the first time they may have heard of a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. What are the promises right. and what are the seven sorrows? Um, well, I, I've mentioned a couple of, this, um, of the um, of the promises. There's a whole list of actual promises, which people can actually get on the internet. So if you just type uh, in a decent, uh, I would say Google, but it's uh, Google's gotten to the point where I can, I can hardly use it because it's just so obnoxious. But if you type in um, promises of Our Lady of Sorrows, it'll generally come up. I think there's a, 11 of them, I think. Okay. Um, I, it's one of those, I read them once a year, and then I forget half of them. But yeah. And um, you know what? On that point, Father, what I'll do is um, uh, I'll put a link in the description. So anybody yeah. listening, watching, go check the link. Um, and I'll go, I'll go out and find one that's got them all. That's a good point. Let's just let people look them up and, and I'll put a link to it so they can check it out. Um, but the seven sorrows yeah. in particular, because when you just said that about, about our lady being in perfect virtue at the foot of the cross, I mean, there are, there are elements here. I, and, and it makes sense in my very, very simple mind. I, I get why she would be able under this title to really help reveal our sins because yeah. of the sorrow that they caused her son that she experienced perfectly as well um, right. alongside him and her perfect love that that these moments of seeing her son go through these these areas of sorrow or, or of pain yeah the sorrow she would feel and so we see the image of the seven swords that pierce her heart and we'll get right. this on the screen here right now um but can you break down those sorrows a bit um in, in yeah, so some some way for us yeah, so so the first one is um, the prophecy of Simeon. So basically, what happens is is when um, Our Lady and Saint Joseph take um, Our Lord to um, Saint Simeon, she revealed. I can't remember which saint it is, but there was a particular saint that was asked that that Our Lady revealed that her initial um, it was initial that, that that first is actually also one of the joyful mysteries, right in the Rosary, and so she said that that joy that he when he was talking about. Um, you know, that he had recognized this is the Messiah, right? And so scripture, the fathers say that scripture is shorthand there, that actually at that point, though, that he all, in addition to predicting the things which gave our uh, St. Joseph and Our Lady great joy, he then started telling her the imprecise detail, all of the things he was going to go through in the passion. So from that moment on, she, she became Our Lady of Sorrows because she bore from that point on, she knew the horrific death that her son was going to be put, mm -hmm. that he was going to be put to death and he was going to go through. And so she carried that her entire life. This is why some of the fathers say that's why she's actually the um, queen of martyrs, because she died to herself at that moment. So each one of these is, is obviously her dying in various ways. Wow. So there's that. And then there's the flight into Egypt. So um, she had to, that was a sorrow that she, her and St. Joseph had to leave, um, you know, to leave, to flight because of Herod, what Herod was going to do. And so they flee, uh, fleed into Egypt. And it's during that where she had perfect confidence in God. Um, so it's interesting that sorrows, it's not fear. So our lady doesn't have fear. She's suffering sorrows in each one of these. And then the, th the third one is the... Um, uh, when Christ goes back to the temple, they think he's with his relatives in their going back to Nazareth, if I'm not mistaken, or Bethlehem, yeah, Nazareth. They're on the way back, and um, he's not there. And so she suffers this uh, separation from Christ, which is kind of a precursor to the, what she's going to suffer in the seventh sorrow, which is when she lays him in the tomb. Okay, so, and then the fourth is, so those are the first in his younger life. Then the next four are actually during the Passion. So she sees him for the first time. So it's meeting him on the way of the cross. And this is the time in which she sees um, how brutalized he's already been because the fathers say that by the time she saw him, he had been beaten so badly that he was practically unrecognizable. And so they, um, and so she saw that. And it's at that point where there's this kind of like total fiat of a perfect acceptance of, yes, I'm willing to, you know, not intervene, let this go forward as God has, has intended. And also she embraced it perfectly because that was one of the other things that her in her sorrow, she embraced them precisely as God would want them to. 
her too. The next one is uh, her uh, standing at the foot of the cross, which I just mentioned. Um, this one demon said it was the most glorious moment in all of history. And then, uh, and this is something where she's, you know, obviously dying to herself interiorly in a most perfect fashion. And it's that sorrow that um, indicates, gives us an indicator that she merits an intimacy with God um, because she's dying in a certain sense with Christ on the cross. So she merits an intimacy with him through that death, right? Then the four, sixth one is they take his body down from the cross and she embraces his body after she it's brought down from the cross, which is the completion of um, her sacrifice in a certain sense, where she's fully embracing what God has willed for her son in that moment. And then the seventh one is... Um, the final finishing of the whole totality of it. And that's when she lays Christ's body in the tomb where she buries Christ. So those are the, the seven sorrows and meditating on each one of those can give us a great indicator of how much suffering she went through. One thing I can mention is she actually, I had this one case where this woman was suffering tremendously. And during one of the sessions, our lady actually appeared to her um, and said to her, She's because this woman was suffering and she was in a lot of pain. And our lady said, remember that I suffered more. And the woman said when she heard those words, it completely changed her perspective on her own suffering. Mm -hmm. That what she suffered was nothing compared to our lady. And therefore it gave her the strength to, to be able to embrace that and do what she needed to do. So it's through that, um, that, um, and even if you say the, the sorrowful mother rosary, the prayer at the end, or the, sorry, the litany of the most sorrowful mother, at the end, there is a thing that asks, help us to sustain all, you know, all sorrows. And so this is something that as we pray that and meditate on that, it helps us to be able to embrace our own suffering, our own um, difficulties that we have to go through in life. Can I follow up quickly, Father Holland, real quick, I wanted to ask, is there ever a moment that the Blessed Mother would have panicked in fear? You said she didn't, because we see sometimes the depiction and, the, you know, the, the very popular TV series out there, The Chosen. Um, I, I've watched some of it. I know some people love it, this series, but I was very bothered when I saw the episode that shows Jesus um, uh, being, you know, they, they lose Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and they yeah. find him in the temple, the finding of Jesus in the temple. And Mary's in the street, just just very upset and panicking. And I just thought that just doesn't, that just doesn't seem right. No, that's not a, that, that's actually not a sign of virtue, frankly. Right. The perfect virtue would be that she sorrows at his loss and mm -hmm. that she tries to seek him out to find him. Um, and so there's not, uh, in fact, if you, if you look at scripture, scripture actually contradicts that because scripture, our lady says, did not, you know, your father and I in sorrow were, um, were trying to find you basically. Mm -hmm. And so it's in sorrow that it happens, not in fear. Okay. So that, that's just, I, I just want to say to the audience out there, if you're a fan of that kind of depiction of Mary, it's not accurate. Is that, is that fair no. father? Yeah, I think that's it. I think the reason it's not accurate is because these things are being written by and talked about by people who don't understand the structure of virtue well and how it governs a person's interior life in right. these moments. Right. Whereas if you don't have virtue, you are going to panic. You know, and whereas Christ is, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's like fifty-six times, fifty-seven times, where he says, "Don't fear," right in this in the scripture in Gospels. So, uh, and she would have lived that perfectly. So there wasn't fear. It was just the sorrow at his uh, lack of presence. Father, you know, I, I've been leaning into this, uh, and especially this summer, I, you know, the, the, there's something came over me, and to the point where I actually went to my nephew who runs Roman Catholic gear, who basically they make all this, the ideas I come up with, like the combat rosary. I was the um, inventor of that. But uh, I said, we need to make uh, a seven sorrows rosary. Uh, and yeah. this was that this summer. And it, well, here it is. It's only about a week or two old, but uh, yeah. it, it's beautiful. And it's, it's called the, uh, the, uh, uh, the seven sorrows combat rosary. So right. it's very, very beautiful um and i'll pitch it you can go to roman catholic gear and get it but that and and then also as we're getting ready to pray as a nation with novena for our nation we've been doing this now since 2016 uh 54 day rosary novena and uh i said 
you know, we're getting accused. These are diabolical times that we're living in right now. And right. what they're trying to normalize is it's, I keep saying that, um, you know, it, it, we're, we're making Sodom and Gomorrah look like an Amish community compared to what's going on right now in, in the oh, world yeah. and what's trying to be normalized. And if you don't obey, if you don't sit down and shut up, okay, you'll be persecuted. And, and we're seeing a lot of Orthodox priests that are being canceled and, and things. Uh, but, but just the shaming of people, if you believe all that God wants us to do, if you've had that experience, I call, you know, that gateway experience of awe and wonder, fear the Lord. I can't, I'm afraid of ever offending you. Of course, I want to obey everything that you want, Lord. Um, and, and so now you're, you're open to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And, but, but according to, I don't know what you want to call it, New World Order, the radical left or whatever, uh, you're a right-wing extremist, right? Because right. you believe all of it? I mean, that's just totally right-wing. So you can see what's going on right now. And even uh, we're, we're recording this on Monday. It's actually nine, uh, the anniversary of 9-11. And we're remembering how, uh, I mean, I saw some of those videos and I, I, I almost can't watch with the buildings coming down, knowing thousands of people are being uh, killed in that moment. And But you also saw the courage of people going toward the building, going toward right. the, the, and you also saw the churches filled up during that time. Right. They faced that horror. They cried out for God at that time. Uh, I feel like we're living in a time right now where people are like, Really? And, and Doug, you always like my expression, shopping and golfing. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's just kind of my quick kind of half joking way of saying, you know, we're, we're, we're distracted by our comforts, by our worldliness. Um, and what's going to shake us up? Well, look around now. I mean, you, you can't even watch the news hardly anymore for what they're trying to indoctrinate us into making a new normal in our times. So right. all of this, all of this, and, and being called right-wing extremists and all this stuff, I kept saying, and, and this ended up being that, and I, here I got, I don't have it memorized, I got to pull it up here. This is the this is the petition for the 54-day Rosary Novena, which I think we're on tw day 28 right now. Um, we just entered the, the second half. But may our church and our country find hope as we unite at the foot of the cross. Unite. Right. With our blessed mother at the foot of the cross, something in me, and of course your inspiration had a lot to do with that, but something in me told me that our sorrowful mother right there at the foot of the cross is where we need to be because, remember, uh, Jesus sa said, behold your son, behold your mother to John, the beloved who was there, the only one who stayed at the foot of the cross. Everybody left in silent self-protection. Our first pope said, distanced himself from Christ. I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the guy. Which is what's going on right now, right? I mean, yeah. anybody that's strong in the truth, strong in God's will, gets persecuted, yes. But the, 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 the difficult part is when people distance themselves from those people because, you know, you're, you're, you're too extreme. Well, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're, and we're not dividing. We're uniting. You come with us. Come to this place. So, Father, that's kind of my long-winded way of saying, you know, I think there's something to this particular devotion, Seven Sorrows, which has us at the foot of the cross, cross for the bulk yeah. of it, right? And, right? and that's the place where power is because, you know, what we're saying, no, we're not going to do like the other apostles did other than John. We're coming back home. We're coming to that place of power. We're coming and, and it's it's going to take courage because we're going to be associated with the right-wing extremists who they call Christians. Uh and um so Father, I you know that's but what's been percolating in my mind. And I, I said this summer because I don't know why this summer, but I just I leaned into it and um and I couldn't wait to have you on to talk about this. Why, why is this so powerful? Uh, and why even in spiritual warfare, which we're fighting, like I keep saying, you know, is this this battle Lepanto times 10? I mean, uh, the, the enemy has seen our weakness. 
and they're coming in to deal the last blow like the Ottoman Turks did in 1571. Right. And that's what it feels like right now. And um, and so I, I just think there's power at the foot of the cross. Father, can you respond to that? You know, it's not it's, with Lepanto, the enemy was outside trying to come in, but now we're also dealing with them both from the outside and the inside. I know. Right? And so I think so was there's Jesus, a, there's... right? The spiritual leaders of his day. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah you exactly. brood of vipers, you, you snakes, you who's going to save you from eternal fire? He was talking to the spiritual leaders of his day. Yeah. I think in relationship to the cross, you know, it reminds me of, um, you know, that whole thing with Constantine, right? So in hoc signum cruci, in hoc signum vincit, right? In this side, which is with the cross, right? That's where you're going to be victorious. And so if we're going to win the spiritual battle, um, and even in a certain sense, the, the worldly battle, or be victorious in relationship to it, we're going to have to be at the foot of the cross. And that means that there are, our lady is going to play a key role in that very process. I also think that, um, you know, I mentioned that she can kind of reveal things. One of the things I've also noticed that is kind of an effect of the devotion to Our Lady of Seven Sorrows is the fact that it seems that the more I enter into that devotion and the more I pray it and the longer I pray it, the more that the uh, that the gift of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and knowledge and even understanding become more to the fore. In other words, understanding is um, a gift of the Holy Spirit in which St. Thomas says it enlightens the mind in such a manner that it gives us an intuitive grasp of the truth of the Catholic faith. So it gives us clarity about the truths of the Catholic faith. And then there's a the gift of knowledge. It just actually gives us a sense of what we are able to grasp what's going on more clearly in the world in relationship with the church and the church itself. And also the gift of wisdom is helping understand God the way God understands himself. You're even hearing some of these people because they're trying to create a new normal. They're trying to change what we even understand about God, that he's different than what he has always you know, revealed himself right. to be in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're, they're literally trying to completely change everything. The other thing is too, is, is that I, I, and this is something that it's, um, that I'm noticing more and more is, is the fact that, they're trying to push onto us a, a patterns of thinking and ways of thinking and ways of behaving that are completely contrary to human nature, to the natural law. So men of normal virtue, just normal men, are looking at this situation and are like, there's just something drastically wrong here. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, they're, they, they, they're allowing, you know, basically guys who claim to be a woman go into women's bathrooms. Got, most of your normal guys are like, that's just not right, right? So just your normal guy. But I think that the advantage of this is that Our Lady of Sorrows does two things. One is it's from the cross from which all protection flows and the precious blood which flows from that cross. So that's where the protection flows. But that also means that um, Our Lady being under her mantle with her underneath the cross is also where we're going to um where we're going to find our greatest protection. And that's why I think that, you know, the thing about Our Lady of Sorrows being that she'll protect you and your family from diabolic incursion. And we've talked about, I think, I don't know if we've talked about this specifically, I think you have, but uh, I know I have, is the fact that the church is going through its passion. Right? It seems like it's being crucified as in our very midst, just watching this thing. It's just literally being destroyed right in front of us, uh, by, as I mentioned, by the people inside, uh, if more than anything else. And so I think that as that passion of the church ramps up, that's one of the reasons why we need to be just completely united to Our Lady at the foot of the cross for our spiritual protection, but also for our salvation. Father Riviger, I mean, a lot of people right now, I, I'm looking at comments to different things that I see. There's so much happening in the church and the world right now. As we speak right now, there are reports that Bishop Strickland might be asked to resign. If it happens, we don't know. There are reports of uh, just, I'm just going to say this: the confusion is rampant among church leadership. Um, it, it's just, it's everywhere out there. Um, bishop against bishop, cardinal against cardinal. Yeah, it cardinal. is. Yeah, it's absolutely there. And and actually, on on that apparition, that warning from Akita, the only thing that really hasn't happened is the fire falling from the sky yet. But everything else from her warning seems to have taken place about the demon being relentless right. against consecrated souls and all this. Absolutely. With, yeah. With all of this craziness and all of this just confusion, even the comment section of a video, you know, I just did a video recently and the comment section is everybody's back and forth. They support this. They don't support that. I'm sure of this. I'm not sure of that. 
lay people yeah. don't even, I mean, some of us, we're not even sure who to turn to, to be able to trust. Um, you know, you and I talked a little bit before the podcast about even destroying certain objects, uh, like um, there are rosaries out there that are that are deemed to be, you know, more of a satanic rosary with symbols and such on it. People have talked about it. I found one in my house as a plastic glow-in-the-dark type rosaries. And then the question is, well, what do you do to destroy these things? Some priests have never heard of this sort of thing. They don't know how to destroy even um, articles like this that might be destructive. You know, Dan Schneider, who's a good friend of yours, I know, and he's a good friend of ours in the podcast, you know, used to do this and still does, I guess, where he lives, where he'll go out into the desert at night sometimes and have to destroy objects, even altars that are built in people's homes of things like Santa Morta, these types of things, which are right. like a combination of Catholicism and, and witchcraft stuff. These items that are very real and can cause many problems, just like blessed objects, such as miraculous metals and crucifixes are very important to us you know, for bringing, be, being instruments to help us with, re, with regards to grace and operating in our lives. The, I guess where I'm going with this is the confusion is so rampant and there's so many things we just don't know about regarding spiritual warfare. It seems like a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows would be such a critical and beautiful and powerful piece of our yeah. spiritual warfare. If you were to list kind of top-notch heavy artillery things that we should and shouldn't be taking part in, not should not, but should really be taking part in as Catholics to help with spiritual warfare, where would you rank something like a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows in that list of heavy artillery for the sake of, of fighting the spiritual battle? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think in addition to providing the protection, which we, all of us need, I mean, right now there's no Catholic that doesn't need it. And people who say, well, I don't need it. I don't have to worry about it. They're, <laughs> they're already usually getting mopped up. Right. Mm. So, but I think that the, uh, but the, I'd look at the, for me, the devotion to our lady of sorrows, in addition to providing high levels of protection, it also is a, a form of reconnaissance, right? Because, mm demons are so sly they're so slick they get into everything and and if you're not careful they're a lot of times they're way into a situation before you actually even recognize that it's that that's them that it's there and so i i just find that um having a strong devotion to our lady of sorrows gives one a perspective a spiritual perspective which gives them the ability to be more aware of these things and to see them with greater clarity because that's the real issues people are just very blind right now we're also dealing with just the blunted intellectual effect of modernism right now, because what's happened is because modernism transposes, you've heard me say this, but because modernism transposes the criteria of truth from objective reality to one's internal experience, once that happens, intellectual precision and intellectual um, advance is precisely occurs when we penetrate the reality that God has created in a greater depth, it's reality that how that we see more perfectly and more clearly. Well, once modernism became adopted, it meant everything's going to get degenerated down to people's personal experience, which means because of fallen human nature, it's all going to be about emotion. And so everything becomes stunted intellectually. This process then worked its way into the seminary. So most seminarians um their formation a lot of times they know the formation isn't adequate they might know that there's problems with their formation but they don't necessarily know what the truth of the matter is this is a fundamental problem right and i think this is one of the reasons why um you know people i think a lot of people say that the reason they're listening to my podcast is because i'm giving them clarity about stuff and all i'm doing is telling them this is what the tradition has always held and this is one of the this is the this is the reason i actually wrote the book the binding force of tradition if people, priests who adhere to the tradition and know it well, the more they know the tradition and the better they know the tradition, the more likely they are to be able to give you clarity about some doctrinal position of the church or what is, um, you know, uh, what, what needs to be done with these particular things. And to defend the priests to some degree, a lot of them are just a product of their formation. So a lot of them did not receive any formation about spiritual warfare whatsoever in their seminary in the diocese of denver they actually have a they have actually have like the small module where they actually teach this and they the priests of this diocese take it fairly seriously at least the priests under 50 do so there's there there's they take it fairly seriously so there's uh, so but in, my point being is is that if you're going to look for clarity um in addition to yourself learning the faith 
and adhering to what the tradition is. You have to find the priests that are going to know the tradition and know it well, because they're the people who are going to be able to tell you this is what you need to do and not do. So I think that the, um, you know, the, the confusion and all of that is intentional on the side of some of the people in the church, precisely because of the fact that um, they, on the side of some of the people in the church, precisely because they want people confused, because people who are confused are like sheep that are drunk, right? They're just wandering all over the place, and you know they're going to be victimized very easily, and you can control them or, or, or you can do whatever, right? And they, they just don't know. But then there are also, there's priests and bishops that actually do know the tradition, and they are trying to state it, and they're coming under fire, obviously. And then there's a segment of population of the of the priests and bishops. I, in fact, in fact, I sat in, next to a cardinal recently during one of the, um, uh, and had dinner with him, and he made this statement which kind of jarred me a little bit. This is a this is considered probably one of the most solid cardinals in the church, right? And he said, "I don't know what the church how the church is going to respond to the whole transgender ideology," and I'm thinking to myself, "Wait a minute." All we have to do is teach the natural law. The church just needs to teach the natural law, give clarity about the natural law, and then show how this stuff is against the natural law, and then it's end of story. But for some reason or another, even the best, it seems, have forgotten the church's own patrimony. So I think it really goes back to, um, and, and this is something I've also noticed, that the more a priest has a devotion to Our Lady, a solid devotion, not just some superficial, but a strong devotion to Our Lady, very often, the more attracted they are to the tradition and the more solid they are theologically. And so this is one of the reasons why, you know, if a priest is Marian and solidly attached to the tradition, then that's where you're going to get your guidance from, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like what you said about reconnaissance. I mean, that's just a great, our blessed mother's like, yeah. reconnaissance, so we understand we need intelligence. We need to know what's going on. Oh, yeah. She, she yeah. sees all. She can just tell her, hey, do this. right? Yeah. And this is why I tell people, Pray to Our Lady of Sorrows and ask her to reveal. Mm. Um, and a lot of times people will find out all sorts of stuff in their family life that they never had imagined or in their own personal lives. Yeah, yeah I loved when you talked about the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit of, of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. Uh, I'm an advocate of Gregory the Great's ordering of the gifts. So those would be the more right. advanced gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I I use a just a colloquial term, uh, you're tuned in. You know, to, to yeah. sum up what you just said, and and I, I want to bring us back. I, I really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an advocate of of uh, Our Lady of Sorrows big time, uh, and that devotion. But I was just exposed. I was asked to be a speaker at a conference. I mentioned it earlier here, in uh, Champion uh, Our Lady of Champion at the Flame of Love concert or uh, concert <laughs> uh, at the convention. Anyways, uh, conference. Anyways. Um, one of the things that blew me away, it was 500 people there. That's the maximum. They sold out like in a day. and every, right. But everybody wanted to be there. But be, because they're, they're, they believe, and it, it's it's actually another way of saying what 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 the whole this whole devotion is about. They believe the flame of love is the love of the Blessed Mother. And Ooh. we all know, don't we, that the, the more you love a person, when they are being persecuted or, or die, you know, the the... the, the the more painful that is. Right. Uh, and so what they're trying to uh, espouse is um, uh, Kindleman is her name that had these um, locutions of the, of the blessed mother. And, uh, but the blessed mother was, was, was calling us to enter into that, um, that place of, of the, the flame of love, but the place where, you're as close to our Lord as you could possibly be. And that, again, that's at the foot of the cross. But here's where I'm going with it, is while we were at the conference, this tuned in was just everywhere. I mean, you you, you could say things that you have discerned are actually going on in the world, right? And you mm -hmm. didn't have fear of anybody, you know, walking out, oh, that's not, you know, the... Uh, you know what I mean? They, they were just, yep, that's, that's right, Father. That's that's we we're seeing it too. This diabolical, um, you know, uh, uh, tyranny that we're suffering through right now, and and uh, and all the ways that be, people are being persecuted, and, and they're watching their loved ones just being indoctrinated into all this, and 
uh, and they're convinced that it is, and she's the Mediatrix of all graces, right? She, that it's through Mary and her love, but but that love is found most intensely as she watched her son suffer on the cross, right? right. And so that's why I believe too, as you do, Father, and I know you do too, too Doug, that, that when you're with Our Lady at the foot of the cross, that's the place. And again, it's the place where everybody fled away from. Or we could put it this way in our times, that people, when they compromise with the world in this way or compromise with the world in that way, or our spiritual leaders that are compromising with the new world order or in every way that they are, you're some distance away from the cross. You might be nearer if you're not compromising too much or, you know, or farther if you're, uh, whoa, the sin that's coming up, oh boy, <laughs> praying a lot. But um, but no, it's just saying, no, 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 no. And again, it's I'm almost whining like a little kid right now, but th there was this childlike uh, feeling that at the conference where you could just relax and just be yourself. And we all kind of knew what was going on. We all kind of knew what we need to do and how we need to you know rekindle this fire, move this revival, help others to discover this flame of love as well. Uh, please, everybody, Google Flame of Love. It's it's a great movement, on, and it's uh, uh, very much backed by the bishops and, and that. But it's it's basically the same thing, Father. Again, it's it's this understanding of the depth of our, our Lady's love and how she wants us to have the same thing. And that's why right. when we pray this beautiful devotion of Our Lady of Sorrows, you know, we're with her, and we're experiencing right. that love. And then what happens, as you said, that that gives it, it it the lights come on and you begin to see as Our Lady and Our Lord see, you know, the, you you get tuned in. Um, yeah, yeah. Father, can you comment on that? No, I, that's I think that's absolutely true. I think the closer you are to the Lady, that because she's the mediator of all grace, the two principal effects of grace is to enlighten the mind and strengthen the will, and she just gives you the grace to see right. these things much more clearly and for what they actually are. I mean, I don't know how anybody who has, if, if you have a basic Catholic faith and you believe everything that the church believes, there's no way you can look at what's going on both in the church and outside in the world and not think this thing is just completely diabolic, right? And yeah. obviously Our Lady is the um, is the nemesis of Satan. And so she's the one to be there for the protection. She's the nemesis of all demons in one sense. And so she that she's the one that you, we need to be closely united to Uh in relationship to, so that we're so that we're protected i also tend to think too it's um you know one of the things and this i had this one case where the um i think i might have mentioned this i can't i don't know if I mentioned this podcast but at one point this demon started bawling because i was saying the salve regina right and when we got to the point where it said um um and let your eyes turn upon us right there's that set there's that part and he just started bawling and so i beat out of him i said what's the story with that and he just said if her eyes are upon your salvation is assured. Now, that basically means that if she, if you're close to her and she's watching you, then you're safe and God's going to protect you. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to go through some trials. It just means that she's going to help you get through it. But then I also started reflecting on the fact that she, her eyes really are only for God. So if we're in the state of grace, that means that's why her eyes are upon us, right? That's because we're close to her, but also that um, we're in the state of grace. We're united to um, God. In fact, the old manuals used to refer to grace as the saving union because you were in union with God by having him indwelling in your soul. And I think that this is, as a result of that, people that, um, you know, that are close to Our Lady, she does give them the knowledge through the grace to see how these things, but also if we rely heavily upon her, she also gives us the grace to navigate them because this is becoming very dicey, even for normal people in their daily lives. And they need a lot of, um, you know, a lot of prudence because she's the um, virgin most prudent, but she's the one that gives us the grace to know what to do and when to do it and how to, to lead our Catholic faith and not be fearful about the situation, not be ashamed of it, the whole bit. Could you break down a little bit how to actually pray the, um, the, the devotion the uh of the of the seven sorrows for people and because father Heilman, your rosary that you've got there the seven sorrows rosary is fantastic but for the people who aren't familiar with it it's not like a normal rosary can you break that down and explain it 
Yeah. So basically, I mean, if you actually look online, there's several, and historically there were several different ways that it was actually done, but I tended to follow the general Servite way, which is, so you, you basically say the, um, the act of contrition, which is the large metal in the beginning. So that's the one the father showed. Then there's three beads and that's, um, you say three Hail Marys in honor of the, um, of the tears of our lady. Right. And that's to begin to give us that compunction necessary to enter into the meditation. And then it's, um, uh, one our father and seven Hail Marys. And you say that for um, seven specific, uh, we call them, well, they're not decades in the strict sense, but this, for the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And then um, at the end of it, it's Virgin Most Sorrowful Pray for us three times. That's the general way that it's done. And so if people um, say that, um, like I said, asking for specific graces in relationship to that, if they're doing that on a daily basis, they're going to find it tremendous. The other thing is there's a litany of those uh, the sorrows of Our Lady, or the most sorrowful mother. It's very interesting because in that you get a very deep sense of all the different facets of her suffering. You know, she's the most sad. She's the one of the most, um, you know, the, the one that was, her heart was pierced. There's all sorts of facets that you learn from that. And then there's also just, if I remember right, in the Recolta, there's just um, um, seven sorrows. There's a couple of seven sorrows devotions in there where you just say a series of uh, seven prayers you can do that as well my own personal even i say the um survey rosary every day because that's part of our community's requirements um, for prayer but one of the things that i'll also do is um just ask our lady of sorrows throughout the course of the day reveal to me this or you know show me what i need to know about that um but also just praying to her throughout the course of the day um, and trying to remain, as Father Heilman said, you know, remain in that union with her. You know, one time, uh, this one demon said that the, the heart of our Lord and Our Lady is so perfectly united. To make reparation to one is to make reparation to the other. But the, but the flip side to that is this. Is that if our heart is united to Our Lady, then de facto it's united to God. And you can't really truly be united to God fully without having your heart united to Our Lady. Now, Our Lady did suffer the seven sorrows, and so she has a sorrow, sorrowing heart in that sense, in the sense that we are also going to suffer through those sorrows in some manner. There are, you know, we're going to have, this is the valley of tears. There's always going to be an element of that. But by having the strong devotion, I found that in the devotion to the seven sorrows, the intellectual clarity I get to maintain the course in the sorrows or in the suffering is far greater than it used to be in the past. The more I, I mean, I always kind of had it, primarily because my mom trained us very well, formed us very well in that regard. But it was one of those things that as I've entered into the seven sorrows more deeply, I find that when things are painful or sorrowful or what I have to deal with demons messing with our stuff here, what have you, the clarity to be able to remain focused on God and Our Lady and confident in them is much greater. Father, so the, leaning into our, our Blessed Mother through this beautiful devotion, the Seven Sorrows, and uh, I'm going to do a little pitch again because we're, we're just geeking out that uh, we, we, and thanks for your good advice. I came to you for advice, but uh, to mm -hmm. develop this uh, Seven Sorrows Combat Rosary that's uh, over at Roman Catholic Gear. My, my nephew runs it, but um, just very excited because we want everybody to discover and lean into why. Well, like you said, Father, protection. We all want protection right now. These diabolical times, right? Um, right. And, yeah, and so that's a, the big P word is so so wanted right now. Protection. Yeah. Uh, but you, you you're leaning in, and then what are you? What is she giving you? As you said, illumination or enlightenment. You know, right. you, you you get to understand, or you call it reconnaissance. You know, I put that in my book, uh, um, the uh, Church Militant Field Manual, but uh, right. recon, right? The, that you're, you're yeah. sizing up the enemy. You want to know what, you know, you don't want it to be taken by surprise. You don't want to, you know, right. get, get blindsided by the enemy. You want to know what's going on. And again, people who have that deep devotion to the Blessed Mother, and I think especially through uh, Our Lady of Sorrows, um, just become very, very tuned in. And so the enemy, you know, you know what, what they're up to with, with the enemy. Um, and then, but then wisdom, right? Wisdom is, is you know, no, uh, to me, it's understanding not only what's going on, but how now are we to deal with it? How are we to help that those 
family members that are being indoctrinated by, you know, the, the, the diabolical that's going on right now. Um, but it, it, Father, you know, that, that precious, precious gift of wisdom, uh, the highest of, in, again, in Pope Gregory's ordering the gifts, um, you know, can you help, can you unfold, unpack that a little bit more about what is that it's Holy Spirit gift of wisdom really give us and, and through the, especially through this uh, beautiful devotion of our seven sorrows. Uh, St. Thomas says that the gift of wisdom has two, it's a twofold thing. It's primarily gives us a grasp of God, the way God sees himself, right? And this is key because it's how God sees himself. That's the reality. One time I had this one woman who I listened to her for 10 or 15 minutes say, I think God this, and I think God that, and I think God this, and I think God that. So at the end of it, she said, well, what do you, what do you think? And I said, well, why don't we ask God what he thinks about himself? Right. And, she just was stunned. And she said, well, that's a novel idea. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell her, no, it's called revelation. But uh, And the Catholic Church is teaching. But I think that, that it it's primarily helps us to see God in his proper context and not allow ourselves to start thinking that our relationship with God is on our terms. They're on his terms, because that's right. part of the <laughs> understanding of who he is. And this goes back to something you said, Father, earlier, which is about fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear of the Lord, St. Thomas defines, as turning away from created goods and turning right. towards God. That's what fear of the Lord ultimately is. Yep. In one sense, it's ultimately about um, not, not fear of offending him, right? right? When you look at the stuff on social media, people have zero fear of the Lord. Mm. In addition to having complete disrespect for other people, yeah. it's no fear of the Lord of just being able to spout stuff and think it's okay and funny and get away with it because nobody knows who they are, right? So this is something that we're actually seeing. The second component to wisdom is, is that St. Thomas says, because we know who God is, we therefore know the end of human life. And therefore, we know the things that we need to do to take the means to achieve that end. And so we know how to direct our life to him. So he says that wisdom is ordering in the sense it orders us towards God. I think that in relationship to the family members, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about before the podcast, but I think one of the things that we're seeing in the state of the world is, is that really good Catholic families are now under brutal attack. The attacks that we, we just didn't see these in the past. Usually demons left them alone, which tells you that the demons are getting bolder or they're also getting more panicky because it's getting to the end, But which is probably a bit of both. But the point being is, is that it seems like no Catholic family is um, immune from this. And so the two things that we've been recommending... One of is is the sorrow, you know, is developing this devotion to the sorrows of Our Lady so that you can have that reconnaissance, but also so that you can have that union. And I think if people are, you know, in a, if they're doing the daily rosary in their family, that's key. But if they also want to do the servite rosary, that's also key. Or par parents doing it for their kids, there has to be some, um, that element that's part of that. The other component is making sure that uh, when it comes to um, the formation of Catholic families. And this is something where it actually is shown perfectly when Our Lady stood at the foot of the cross. And it kind of gets back to um, the question, you know, the Doug that you mentioned, you know, that she was fearful and she was running around. Look at hmm. virtue in the end gives us an interior discipline to maintain control over our interior faculties. And what we're discovering is, is that people are being attacked because they lack elementary spiritual discipline what does that mean it means there's not some place in their life on a daily basis that they're denying themselves our lady is the standing at the foot of the cross is the perfect example of self-denial and we have to pray to her under the title of our lady of sorrow but just praying to her give us that same discipline because if you have that discipline we've noticed it clears out the demons it renders people fairly immune from diabolic attack in families where that daily discipline is engendered in the children from an early age, where there's always something where they're having to deny themselves in some fashion, those are the those are the families where they don't lose any of the children. It's when the parents are lackadaisical. They might give them a good catechal formation, but they're not forming the kids in that self-denial. In other words, they're not turning them into little mirrors of Our Lady. Those are the families that are getting attacked. So, Father, with with when you talk about other family or that families are being hit harder than ever before, um, and I yeah. know you had brought this up on a previous podcast, and we asked a little bit right. about you know in in what ways are you seeing that unfold? 
And then when I've mentioned that to other people, you know, the yeah, Father Ricker said this, you know, their their response sometimes is, oh no, well, what do we do? Almost as if now they're concerned if they haven't been hit, they might get hit. Yeah. So kind of how do how do you kind of frame this or position this with people so that in their hearts and minds, like we know something could be coming, we don't know when or how. What do I right. do to have an attitude to prepare for that? Well, I think the principal way to gain that discipline, as I mentioned, is to pick some aspect of your spiritual life and start practicing self-denial on a daily basis. The one that we use the most in the Libra Cristo method model is um, doing the Angelus at six noon and six mm. and six o'clock, not seven o'clock, six o'clock, because it forces people to practice that daily self-denial of getting up in the morning. One time, this one rector said, you know, if you, if the, the alarm goes off and you hit the button, the snooze button, your first act in the day is one of laziness. Mm. So that sets the tone, right? When really, as soon as it goes off, we should get up, we do the Angelus, et cetera, so that you practice that self-denial. That's one of the principal ways that we're doing it. But I think a lot of it is, you know, teaching kids how to fast, teaching kids how to pray on a regular basis, doing the daily rosary. And when the kids whine, then you have to sit them down and say, look, this is why we're doing this. This is what, and get that discipline to where they want to be doing that daily. Because to do the rosary every single day in a family is, requires a certain level of discipline as anybody who has a family knows. And so that's one of those things, um, which is, I think if they're just doing some element or something where they're practicing that self-denial, historically, it, it jo often just came by virtue of the fact that men had to work hard and so did women in, the, in domestic affairs, but guys had to work daily. And so that practice of that daily self-denial of the grind was actually how they developed it. But it has to be, uh, it has to be properly subordinated to God. In other words, that, that self-denial has to be done for a proper motive. You know, it can't be doing, I'm, I'm going to deny myself for money. It has to be, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for the advance of virtue, but ultimately I'm doing this for God, or it's a gift I'm going to give to our lady, lay it at her hands and let her use it the way she wants the merit of that prayer or that suffering, etc. There has to be, it has to have a right order, but then it has to be consistent daily because if parents do that, when their kids reach 18, then they're, they're used to that self-denial. And it also means that if they're practicing self-denial, they're not going to approach God that their relationship should be on their terms because they're going to already be denying themselves for his sake. They know it's on his terms. Yeah, I remember one thing you'd said in the past, I think it's a good point to reiterate, is that the demons, the devils, they fear discipline as much yeah. as as the prayers and in, in the in the exercises you know that we go through of fasting and such because they can't stand a disciplined fighter. Um, right. I think you said that they receive quite a beating from people that are disciplined in these spiritual, uh, these spiritual methods that, that, that exactly. Act yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to get involved with them because they know they're going to lose. So they, yeah. they tend to avoid them. Whereas people who are undisciplined. And I think that that's, I think that's one of the things that actually has me, um, horrified about our current modern situation, both inside and out the church, out of the church. If there is a chastisement coming down the pike, which it seems to me it's inevitable, but if there is a chastisement coming down the pike, it's going to be so brutal because people are so undisciplined and right. have lacked so much virtue that the level of suffering is going to be horrific because people just won't even know how to suffer well. They won't even know how to suffer, mm. right? Yeah. And so I think that it's going to be very difficult. Um, whereas I and 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 again, I think that the reason that, and I think this is why the demons are making so much hay and how, why they've gained so much ascendancy is because not just in the church, but even outside the church, especially, I, mean, I can say this, at least speaking for the United States, we are, as a people, we are extraordinarily undisciplined in virtually every area of our lives. And this is a problem, you know, yeah. because that's, that's, you're reckoning that when times get tough, you're not going to have that discipline to fall back on. Yeah. And that's why you, yeah. there's so much compliance to the yes. diabolical leaders of our times, because they don't want to sacrifice to suffer, and so they avoid that at all costs. Now you right. can put together who the they I'm talking about right now, but but uh, it's 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 happening in our times, and so we need we. Uh, I was noticing this once again as we've been talking about this, uh, Our Lady of Sorrow. So I've got Blessed Mother there. I've also got John the Beloved right there. And, no, there you go. And then I've got all the saints right there. So uh, this is the place, uh, my brothers and sisters that uh, this beautiful, amazing devotion helps us to get to, uh, let's unite at the foot of the cross, right? 
Father, it's been amazing having you on. I uh, yeah. love it every time. And uh, I always feel like I'm getting the gift of wisdom just by having you with us. <laughs> well, I always enjoy coming on. I appreciate yeah. you guys and I appreciate yeah. you letting me come on. Thanks, Thanks Father. All right. Uh, can you close with a little prayer for us, Father? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now at the hour of our death. Amen. Virgin most sorrowful, pray for, pray for us. us. Thank you, Father. God bless you. Thank you, you Father. Thank you. Great to have you on again. Thank you.